0: G'day, this is Lisa Tester in another episode of Surviving the Legal System in Australia with a Psychopath. Today we're talking about the ICL. Now the ICL stands for Independent Children's Lawyer. These are uh, usually funded by legal aid and the ICL is there to represent a child's best interests during proceedings. That doesn't mean that they represent the child or the children. The court appoints them. Uh, They can be appointed as a result of material disclosed in the notice of risk or in uh, sometimes affidavit material or um, upon application by one or both of the parties to the proceedings. So an ICL, um, and that's the solicitor, uh, is appointed by the court under Section 68L of the Family Law Act, 1975. And they're concerned with the welfare and wellbeing of the children. Now, many people think that the ICL is there to represent the children, and that's not the case. And it's a difficult thing for people to get their head around because they're an independent appointment to your proceedings. They're independent of Both parties, but often the ICL's position will be um, aligned with one or one of the parties. Now, this can lead to what looks like collusion um, if you are not aware of how the process works. You might find yourself facing an ICL that agrees with your ex, it's pretty common. There's nothing much you can do about it because sometimes the ICL will align themselves with your perspective. It depends on, it really depends on what day it is, um, who your ICL is. There are good ones and there are bad ones. We've seen recently in, um, in the media over the last few years the issue to do with the children who were shot by their father. Um, I don't have the name of the case at hand, but um, the ICL was forced to go to the coroner's court for the inquest and gave evidence, and she's no longer, um, she's no longer an ICL. which and, and an ICL is just on the legal aid panel. So she made some very serious errors and under no circumstances am I making light of the role of the ICL here, which is very, very important. I'm trying in this episode to dispel some of the, the urban legends, the myths that parties have that they hear about what an ICL is and what they do. So they're appointed by the court if there are mental health issues regarding one or both of the parents, um, particularly if there are allegations of family violence or neglect, um, even if it's just a high conflict case between the parties, that can be enough to trigger the court into um, appointing an ICL. I mean, if if parents are high conflict, then the court's just going to look at it and go, well, fuck me, neither of you can make any rational decision about your children, so I'm going to slap someone right in the middle of you two and go, there you go. So the ICL, it is there to provide an independent perspective to the court. Now, I say independent um, with a grain of salt because, most parties see them as partisan. You know, they, they they do more often than not side with one party's case than the other. And that's not because they collude. That's because they see the evidence, they see how the case is unfolding in the same way that the parties m- may do as well. So they're responsible for arranging independent evidence, um, facilitating various things, um, and most importantly, they're designed to be an honest and independent separate part of the proceedings. Now, the ICL's also tasked with investigating um. Situation involving the children. Now they're not there to necessarily interview you or your ex or the children, however, they can speak with the school, they can speak with school counselors, they can speak with teachers, they can talk to the doctors, they can talk to anyone that's involved with the care of your children. They can cross-examine. When you go into a trial, there'll be three at the bar table. There'll be Mama Bear, Baby Papa Bear and Baby Bear and each of them will be a barrister. So there'll be three people at the bar table cross-examining all of the parties and the witnesses because each aspect of the case is different the icl will have different questions to put to a party than say um, the party so it can it can seem strange to have two different positions cross-examined on when you're in the witness box but that's just how it is the icl sometimes Uh, requests meetings or interviews with the children, depending on the circumstances and the age. Now, even though they may talk to the children, that does not mean that their views are going to be taken into account or that they're going to have any say in the proceedings. Children are not part of legal proceedings um, in family law in Australia, no matter how old they are. They do not come into court. They do not give evidence. But their views can can be, if appropriate, heard by the ICL. Particularly when it comes to issues like with the with the children that were killed by their father, the ICL ignored ignored what the children were saying. The ICL chose not to put before the court information about prior convictions or prior um, intervention order material. There was a lot that the ICL didn't put before the court because the ICL dismissed many of the concerns of the mother and of the children. This happens a lot. Now, I'm going to say something that you might not like to hear. ICLs? They're just ordinary people. They're just lawyers. They're nothing special. Good ones, good ones go. Go that extra mile to make sure that they get the best outcome that they can for your children. Bad ones, they're just lazy. They're lazy and they don't really care because being an ICL doesn't pay very much. We all know legal aid doesn't pay very much. So... They don't do very much for that very little money. But we all have expectations that lawyers and barristers will somehow magically know everything, that they are um, they're de facto counsellors, their de facto financial advisors, their de facto everything in the heat of our case and that's a bad expectation to have on people who are just doing a job but the ICL they have a they have a more difficult role because they're there acting as the intermediary between you your ex and the court and the children and so there can be uh, it can be a very hot and hurtful um, experience to be on the receiving end of an ICL case that doesn't favor you or your position. Now, this happens a lot in the type of cases where we know we're dealing with a psychopath. Now, when I, you know by now that when I refer to it, When I use the term psychopath, I'm I'm not caring what kind of abuse it is. I'm not caring what kind of um, behavior you've been subjected to. It's about the patterns of behavior that I see in cases when I review the evidence, when I talk to clients and victims about their ex and the behaviors patterns that become evident after those kinds of discussions. So I'm not necessarily referring to a um, DSM-5 criteria of diagnosis when I'm using the term psychopath. I just mean that it's part of a a pattern of behaviors that um, I see that can be relied upon that form my categorization of psychopath. So it covers the gamut of coercive control, um, narcissism, because we've all got we've all got the traits of these behaviours in us, but it's the patterns of behaviour that they cannot stop, that they cannot control, um, that manifest in the court material. So this is this is what I mean by psychopath. So. Psychopaths are cool, calm, rational. They're the reasonable person sitting sitting in the witness box. They're the person that's just sad and a bit lost and oh so reasonable. And, you know, they come across as just caring, loving parents to the report writer um, or the F11 report writer. Um, and so you as the victim on the receiving end of this, you're going to get short shrift from from the ICL if they believe if they believe you're psychopath. So this is dangerous ground. But it's important to understand the roles of each part of your case, the people who inhabit the court space with you, because if you if you understand their role, their purpose, their obligations. Some of the heat, some of the hurt and the pain that is caused by the process can be diminished. Being informed about why someone does something can make it less hurtful to you. And that's what I'm trying to impart here. i don't I don't have any, I don't have anything to say, for or against the icls as a whole because i think that the majority of them do a tough job they don't get any thanks it's a thankless task to be the icl let me tell you Um, being an icl can you can it can go for years but most of them try to do the best they can And for fuck's sake, don't try to intimidate them. Don't call them up and abuse them. Don't try to persuade them to your side. You just look like a crazy fucker trying to manipulate them, okay? We look crazy enough as it is because of the trauma and the PTSD and the flashbacks and the inability to control our hurt and feelings in the moment. But you got to try. Don't call them up. Don't harass them. Don't make them feel like you are the lunatic. Don't make them feel like you are the problem parent. Just let them do their job. Work with them rather than against them. Don't see them as the enemy. Because ultimately, the more you treat them as the enemy, the more self-fulfilling that prophecy will become. So the ICL, like I said, they're just a lawyer. They're not a counsellor. They're not. They're not. Um, they're not a child psychologist. They're just there to do the same job that you are engaging your solicitor to do. And they've got to do their job without any direction except from what comes up in the material that you and your ex apply to court. So what? The evidence that you provide in your affidavits and the way they're written and drafted, your whole case has to be strategic instead of emotional. Only strategy works against these psychopaths. So I hope this has been helpful. Um, I'll put further information in the description, and you're always welcome to contact me if you have further questions, or follow me on LinkedIn, or just keep following these podcasts. See you later.